Oh, yeah. I mean, he just likes talking about selling coke. He loves um, cocaine. We talked about it last week. George Bush loves killing. Bush T loves cocaine. This is Jubilee Street, a Nick Cave podcast. We are here for episode two. I am Ian McCurtis, here with my beautiful co-host, Jake Curtis. Hello, everyone. And first of all, I just want to say, like, for real, thank you to everyone who's listened to this. As of this recording, the first two episodes have been out for two days, and um, our intern... Blue the dog typed up some notes for me, and we have had listeners in Norway, Mexico, Canada, Denmark, France, Netherlands, Australia, Germany, Sweden, Portugal, the UK, and the United States, and that's just insane. And I know that's not because of us. There's no ego there. I know it's because of Nick Cave, but we wanted to, you know, start a community about him and about art in general, and... This just makes us feel really good. These are like some hopeless times, and it makes us feel like we're doing something. So thank you to everyone listening. And, you know, I see there's no listeners from, like, Israel, South Africa, Italy, so we need we need more. Come on, I'm guys. Not, get it. Get it get together. I'm not, you know, I'm not satisfied. But, As they say in South Africa, come on, bro. Come on. <laughs> but it's truly incredible. So thank you for uh, checking this out and trying it. So, Kyle, what's our... Uh... What's what's our Nick Cave song this week? So this week we are jumping almost as recent as you can go. We are going to Skeleton Tree, and the song is Magneto. Mostly I never knew which way was out. I've also been kind of having a down week this whole, like, the whole time this, like, coronavirus thing has been going on i feel like i alternate between like being really up one week and then really down one week and this week between the like second wave or continuation of the first wave of coronavirus whatever you want to call it and then just kind of anxiety about these elections i've just been having a down week and i've really been looking forward to this recording it's kind of been like a sandwich because like a sandwich of all those things for me because you know, my birthday weekend was really nice because... Happy belated he, birthday. Oh, thank you. The birthday weekend was really cool, laid back. You know, I got to like kind of just play some video games and I wasn't on my phone as much. And then, you know, I get to work on Monday and they've sent out this thing about you can't wear any like anything regarding any message basically on your person at work, which is just so fucked up because they sent out an email with this really vague like support for black lives matter but they never actually said it i mean there's so many people who are upset at my store right now and they let this woman come back to work who i i might have told you about but she the, the had racist stuff yeah you talked about it last week on the pod actually whole foods used to feel like this place you could be yourself and now it just feels like so an amazon like just sterile and so there's that there's the elijah mccain thing that one just hurt me so much because i feel like i knew some i know him like i i I felt like he could have been going to shows with us back in the day i don't know what i've just been like tearing up randomly about him uh elijah mclean and then i just was like tears were just rolling down my face and then uh i went out with my friend to celebrate my birthday you know, he was give, doing like a belated birthday thing yesterday. And then I came home and, you know, I, I had gotten a couple of birthday beers from a friend. So I had one of those and I don't really drink that often anymore. So it, it didn't really make me feel that good. I don't know why I still drink, but I played a uh, switch for a little bit. And then I was like, oh, I need to do my homework for Magneto. I just was like, that song just made me cry. I was just crying for like 20 minutes because I, I listened to the the one the uh, the one that's like on the release on Spotify, mm-hmm. and then I list I watched the music video. Dude, that music and, video is so cool. The lighting. Yeah, and then I watched his live in Copenhagen performance. Uh, it looks like it's time stamped. It's it's time stamped to September thirteenth, twenty nineteen. I don't know if that's when the concert happened, 
Yeah, but, I saw him on um, the Skeleton Tree tour though, and he I think he opened with it. This is really a cool song to go f- to from the Mercy Seat because they're con uh, not context uh, subject matter wise. There's you know it's it's very heavy. Um, this album was written uh, during the time where Nick Cave's 15-year-old son died from an accidental cliff fall. It's very minimal production. I listened to a couple other songs on the record, uh, Jesus Alone and Rings of Saturn, as well as Magneto, just to kind of get into the mood of the album. Probably listen to the rest later. This is part of what people have been calling his ambient trilogy. Um, This is the second album in that. And yeah, if you know, if you're following along with us and you're new to him, this is extremely different from the Mercy Seat. He's recently stopped doing like the narrative songwriting he's known for. The lyrics are really um, kind of surreal, and you know they don't follow a structure. The songs on this record don't have the verse chorus structure he usually sticks to. Um, it's just for someone who's always been experimental. I think this is the most experimental he's ever gotten. Um, so. Like Jake said, his son passed away while I think they were finishing up the album. From what I understand, they were either on a break or they took a break because he passed. And then they got back together. He changed some of the lyrics. But from what I've heard, the album was almost completely done. It's just kind of coincidence that it's so dark. Um, But when they came back to finish things up, he brought a documentary crew with him that was led by Andrew Dominic, who is a film director. Uh, he directed the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. What? Oh, I've seen b- like both of the movies he's directed. They're both great. Yeah, so he directed the documentary about the making of and about him and his wife like dealing with his son dying. Uh, Nick Cave did the music for the assassination of Jesse James, so I guess they were friends. Very cool. Um, and that documentary is incredible, and Magneto is in that film, which is why I bring it up, the music video, I think, is taken directly from the movie. Yeah. And I don't know, Jake, do you have somewhere to start? This is, you know, full disclosure, this is one of my absolute favorite songs of his, and I don't even know where to begin. I have so much to say. This song means so much to me. There's a lot of layers to unpack in this song, because before we even knew about Nick Cave, Magneto already meant a pretty big thing to us, as far as... uh, what kind of, as far as like a pop culture uh, comic book character. And he holds a lot of gravitas for us in that way. So this is the first Nick Cave album that I was sent when my friend was sharing them with me. And that song title stuck out to me. So I I guess we'll just kind of go with, um, you know, what we were kind of talking about in the intro. Let's start this off like on a lighter note. Do you have... Any thoughts on why the song was called Magneto? Any theories? Uh, I'm assuming there's some sort of significance to... Because Magneto's not really... He could only be referencing X-Men. I don't think Magneto exists anywhere else other than... Yeah, that's what I assume. Yeah. An X-Men reference. So here's my take. This is sort of my rabbit hole theory about what the song means. So I've got the lyrics pulled up here and... The most, this is a great place to start, I think. Uh, It's the third verse of the song, and he goes, Oh, the urge to kill somebody was basically overwhelming, as I had had such hard blues down there in the supermarket queues. All right, go on. I think you're you're going right where my head was going. I had a sudden urge to become someone, someone like you. So I did a little digging just to, you know, do my homework for the episode, and... I looked up my favorite X-Men run from the last, you know, 20 years or so, and I haven't read as much as others, but uh, the new X-Men run that Grant Morrison did uh, has a really cool Magneto arc where he gets revealed, and this comic came out 20 years ago, so you guys can't say any spoiler bullshit. Yeah, but new, new X-Men is the title of the book. It's not... A new X-Men book. Yeah, new X-Men. It's I which, uh, think of that I, italicized. Which is as confusing as all of X-Men is. Exactly. I'm just going to read a quick plot synopsis here. Magneto, enjoying the lack of progress Xavier has made in improving Mutant Kind's lot since his death, partly due to his manipulations, 
He has begun to teach his militant anti-human philosophy to the special class while indulging in the mutant power-enhancing drug kick supplied to him by his helper, Esme, of the Stepford Cuckoos. Cuckoos? Uh, he also reveals that he, Magneto, has been responsible for restoring Xavier's mobility be- via reprogramming the nanite sentinels inserted into Xavier's body by Cassandra Nova. Sounds wild. He, he has, basically, Magneto in that comic book has, has in, his ha- in his power, he's able to manipulate these little set sentinels inside of Xavier's body, which puts Xavier into, or Professor X, into a suspended animation state, which is where I think you get those issues with the uh, silent comics. Like it's just, yeah. it's just animated, but no, there's no uh, dialogue no bubbles. This connects in that I think that what Nick Cave, what this song is about, this had to have been the one where he changed the lyrics. If he didn't, it's eerie. That's, uh, I, and, I'm assuming this one had to be one of the ones where some lyrics were altered. Like it had to be. So when someone dies, in your family, especially in this case, your son, who's not even really an adult yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's an accident from what I've read online. And I don't want to go too much into that because I want to be sensitive to Nick Cave and his family. Yeah, just real quick. If, if you want to hear more about this at length, because again, this isn't something we really feel comfortable talking about. He has a website called The Red Hand Files, where every week he answers a different question from fans. And he has delved into this topic way more personally than he had to but if you want to know more about it go you know read up on it there because yeah we're not you know this is extremely personal we're not qualified to talk about a lot of this i think all of that stuff where he i had a sudden urge to become someone like you he repeats someone twice Mm -hmm. and as most comic book anti-hero supervillains like Magneto, because Magneto doesn't really sit as a villain to me. I think he's pegged as one, but I don't think that he's a villain. Um, I think he has been a villain, but I don't think that's him wholly as a character. I think that maybe there was an urge for Nick Cave to want to bring his son back to life and not be himself anymore because maybe mm-hmm. he saw all of the best parts of himself in his child. And I even did a little bit of snooping because there's some references to either like in theory, him becoming Christian, but there's the line, it was the year I officially became the bride of Jesus. And apparently in Boatman's call, which is a Nick cave record, it's uh, where he'd recently managed to quit heroin. Yeah. And I think that this song is basically like a heroin dream. Yeah, I think the song is about withdrawal because, you know, he talks about vomiting and clutching the toilet. And it's really like you, going back to what you said where the lyrics and the subject matter are very ethereal. Not ethereal, but um, they're less set in a narrative. It's very surreal and kind of... Yeah, as, as dark of- and horrible as the circumstances are surrounding this album, it's going to be fun to talk about because there's so many different ways you can interpret the lyrics, for sure. So I'm thinking in this sort of long-winded theory that in some way, like, I think Magneto wanted to be Charles Xavier and Charles like Xavier wanted to be, wanted to be Mag. Like, that's how everybody is. Like, we always mm-hmm. want to become the person that we view as good. And then, but it's almost always the opposite direction. The things that we think about ourselves, other people don't think of, like they see us in a different way, whether that be good or bad. So I'll probably, I think I'm going to let you take it from here with your thoughts, but I definitely think that the name is more significant, even more so than the lyrics, because it seems as though he's coming to terms with his power and... Mm perhaps maybe the damage that he wrought upon his son inadvertently by, I mean, if his son's 15, I don't think, yeah, so his son would have probably been, while he was going through heroin withdrawals and, you know, dealing with drug abuse and stuff like that, maybe, you know, Magneto comic books popped up throughout that time and there's some significance or connecting factor to, you know, so the song seems to me to be about withdrawal, but then there's the line that it's the year I became the bride of Jesus, which mm-hmm. I believe 
means the church. Like, I think people refer to churches as the bride of Jesus, like they go hand in hand. That's true. Um, But I think he meant, the way I read it is it's the year I became the bride of Jesus, like the year I had something to live for. I thought it maybe meant the year his son was born, and maybe that helped him get clean, or maybe was the reason he got clean. I don't know. But as far as the Magneto thing goes, you know, there's a couple surface-level things. I thought maybe his son really liked the X-Men. Maybe the violin player in the Bad Seeds, who we will talk about at length. I think he is the most important member of the band other than Nick Cave, um, Warren Ellis. He joined in the mid-'90s. Just real quick, because we never talked about him before. He is the violinist for a post-rock band called The Dirty Three, who I think are also Australian. I'm not a huge, you know, I don't know their catalog very well. But when he joined the band, I think it's kind of a parallel to Tom Waits when he put out Swordfish Trombones. And it's like, that's a clear divide in Tom Waits' discography. There's everything before that album and everything after. I think Nick Cave is the same. There's everything before Warren Ellis and after Warren Ellis. But there's also a comic book writer that has written the X-Men named Warren Ellis. So I thought maybe it was just a funny little, they didn't have a title. He probably gets asked about comic books all the time because they have the same name. Maybe it was a reference to that. But the theory I like the most uh, plays off the same line you said, Jake, which is the urge to kill somebody was basically overwhelming. Magneto is a character who, I don't know if they've changed his origin, but his original origin is that he grew up in a concentration camp and lived through the Holocaust and, you know, saw most of his family murdered. And he becomes a villain, basically, because he hates humanity because of that. Like, why? He has no reason to not hate humanity. And he thinks, you know, mutants and people's superpowers are better and looks down on humanity for what they did to the Jewish population. So I thought maybe the urge to kill someone was overwhelming was him relating to that. Like, you know, if God, if the world can take this thing away from me, then fuck the world, like. I don't want to be a part of it. So that was the, I guess, most rapid hole theory, like you said, I had about the title. I had the same thought. You just, uh, you described it better than me. I I uh, am very tangential today, I suppose. I couldn't uh, put it into words, but I always picture that scene from the first X-Men movie uh, where he's reaching his hand out from behind the fence. Mm-hmm. I think his mom or his family is stuck in the concentration camp that he's been able to escape or something or vice versa. It's been years since I've seen the movie, but Nick cave doesn't um, really ever reference pop culture. That's not music or literature like novel literature. I don't mean comic books. So it is a really weird reference that the song is titled that. And you know, it has to mean something, but yeah, neither of us know for sure. And I don't know if he's publicly said, you know, on this podcast, we're not, we don't want to be a Wikipedia article and just read things you can look up. Uh, so maybe it's been said, but I don't know if there's been a stated reason. Yeah. But I, that brings me to, um, I meant to mention this earlier. Those little, I don't know if you listen to it on headphones or this is one of those albums where, you know, it's really rewarding to really listen to it on some good headphones and dive into all the noises. There's those like little buzzing electrical noises that go out through the song. Yeah. I love They're those. so cool. I mean, that could also be why it's called Magneto, just because of that. But mm-hmm. those little layers of noise that, you know, it's not like an old light switch is being flipped on here and there. Mm-hmm. It's so cool. Well, I was going to say that, that that's another thing, is that the sounds of this album and this song are very glitchy and kind of mm-hmm. minimal. Like, it's as if... You could you could imagine Nick Cave just writing these on a little like, you know, multi-sound keyboard in a room and just, you know, recording it at like ad nauseum on yeah. a loop and just. I think that's what they did. I think Warren Ellis made these little synthesizer loops and just played them endlessly. And from what I understand, a lot of the lyrics are just improvised. Like Nick Cave just would stand there listening to these loops and just sing to them. Yeah, so it was cool watching the live at Copenhagen performance because the song sounded different live. Like they had the vocals are just so overpowering, and that's not a bad thing. It's just you don't remember anything else because the lyrics and the vocals are so powerful. 
but for it's, sure. Like I, I get chills. Like this is one of those songs where just like thinking of it, thinking of certain parts, will give me chills. Yeah, I mean, as far as like vocal delivery goes, the I love you, love I love, in love you laugh, in love you move, I move, and one more time with feeling like, just at all like at in one single like that's where the first time i was listening to the song i listened to the song in different iterations four times i you know tears just started welling in my eyes you know and so it's it's overwhelming how beautiful it is and and i think in in like so many there's so many people he's talking to which is really cool that it's a chorus because when you think of chorus you think of like a choir or an orchestra it's very like that's always the most triumphant part of the song. And it's really the only happy part of the song because all of the verses are so like, you can just, everything's just tainted and spilled and overrun and rust, rusted. And, you know, I've never heard a song other than like, you know, Tom Waits, mm-hmm. like, where his songs literally, you can like hear the rust coming off of the boats and the Hell cars, yeah. and well, you I mean, know, his percussion will just be like literally like him hitting an old tire with a stick. Yeah, and and I think that's what it just helps because if the, if the song is really about Magneto and you know, sort of a fall from grace and into the arms of Christ, which is what he's using with his imagery. I hadn't thought it, about that. Some like a you know a villain begging for forgiveness. That is well, awesome thought. When you're faced with potentially the most horrifying loss anyone can imagine, worse than losing a like a a parent is, and you know this that's in with a certain amount of subtext and context, losing your child is probably the most horrifying thing anyone can imagine. I mean that's why people are so upset when their dogs die. You know it's it's there's a difference between humans and animals, but at the end of the day, it's still this thing that you cared for and you saw yourself in, and it's as if you're losing a reflection. And, you know, speaking from a, per- a place of personal, you know, loss, I, when my five years ago, uh, it'll almost be five years in August, my dad committed suicide. And it was, it's more complex than this, but people will remember listening to this that experienced it, but I did and said a lot of things that I don't think that I meant. Going through, I, like, the grieving process. I, and, I, and I just don't think that you realize what you're going through at the time, and then you later look back on that behavior, and it, it's very erratic. You know, I went off on somebody for recording me, and in hindsight, I felt like his efforts were mostly innocent. I, I you know, I accused my friends of, you know, not caring about things enough and, you know, saying mean judgmental things and just you know starting arguments you know quitting jobs very abruptly not being very like in control of my money uh or my time i mean it's one of the most horrible things you know someone could go through and and you know it's just like listening to this song it really brought up a lot of those those feelings because yeah, the line um, where he says, I had such hard blues down there in the supermarket queues. I did yeah. see it. It might be in the movie or it might be an interview. I, I can't remember for sure. But he said that after his son died, he it would be out and about in the town he lived at, like going to the bakery or going to the bank, just running errands. And people in line would go up to him and be like, hey, we're with you. We're so sorry. Like, we're supportive of you. And he said that, you know, right after it happened, he was like, fuck you. Like, who are you to pity me? Yeah. Like, he was angry at him. And now, in retrospect, you know, he's like, they were offering a human kindness. But, yeah, when you're going through that, you're just, you, you don't process things like you normally would. How could you? Yeah, I mean, you just, it's weird. You just don't know. It, 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 it makes it a lot easier to empathize with people who have to call out of work for mm-hmm. months and months on end after those things happen. You that's mean, what I, really I can only makes, imagine. That's what really makes this album and, and the next one, Ghostine, some of the most moving music I've ever heard in my entire life is that we yes. might write throughout like, you know, all music 
an artist might write a song about losing their mom or the death of someone, but I can't think of many times where the process of grief is documented like this. Like for him to share that with the world on such a personal level, two whole albums of what it was like to go through this level of grief is like we said earlier, so heavy and such a unique set of two albums. Well, you know, I could, I could write a song about, you know, we have one of our best friends that overdosed and died and, I've written a song here and there about it, but I can't imagine having to dive so deep inside myself that I write a whole album about it. That sounds like a nightmare. A lot of good stuff in there, though. Yeah, but I'm, I mean, I'm so thankful he shared it with the world because it means so much to me and I'm sure to so many people listening. You know, anyone that knows me that's listening, I have always dr- dreamt of a couple of things that I've wanted to do in my life, which is... I've always loved movies and I've always wanted to write scripts, both of which I don't do much in my free time, which is sort of a personal grievance that, you know, I have to sort of reckon with what I want my life to look like within like five or 10 years. But I digress. I've always wanted to write something about how my dad suffered from obsessive compulsive disorder and what I believe to be undiagnosed bipolar disorder. And I think because those things are so scary to try to dive into. And I actually started writing something uh, a couple months ago and I, I, I was writing, I wrote probably like 20 or 30 pages within the span of a couple of days. And then I just got, it just got too overwhelming. I think it sort of coincided with COVID-19 getting really intense. And this album and this song, I think are gifts. Um, and if you're a Nick K fan or you're not quite one yet, this is going to be a big tell if you're going to like his other newer stuff because it's a, a lot of it is like this. And from what I've listened to, I like all different tastes and, and shapes and sizes of Nick Cave, but this song and album in particular are, they came to me at the right time. And uh, I, I really appreciate him offering this out to the world because it's cathartic to listen to. And you have to imagine it was cathartic for him to make. And I, I really think that, so. uh, grief just wraps itself around you. And I, you know, once again, I can't help but bring in what's happening in our world right now. But, you know, because we have all started to be awakened from this great slumber of white privilege, the collective grief has gone past the circles of black people and black families, and it's permeating into white families, which is where change can really uh, I don't know who famously said it, but I, I think it was Malcolm X or somebody along the lines of, of, of that type of rhetoric. But it's when the people who aren't being oppressed are impacted by the oppression that change happens. And uh, if I could jump in real quick, there's just something that relates to this. Last yeah, sure. year, I saw Nick Cave do a solo Q&A where he would play you know, a song on piano and then take some questions from the crowd play a song, take some questions. And he spoke about this for a little bit, and he said that the way he saw it was the nature of grief is that it's sort of like being, you know, when you're depressed and you don't want to go out and talk to your friends. The nature of grief is that it makes you want to burrow inside yourself. That's what the emotion does. And the only way he saw to fight it was to be as vulnerable as a human possibly could and share that grief with as many people as would hear it. And since he's a musician, the best way to share that was to make an album about it. Yeah. But and I it's, think this it's... ties into what you're saying about what we're seeing right now in America and the rest of the world is black people are finally scratching and clawing to make everyone fucking understand what they've had to grieve and go through. And, and the, the world collectively heals better that way when we all, it, it sucks seeing other people suffer, but it makes you grow as a human. But I think going off of that, that grief can only be accompanied by love. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what Nick Cave's greatest act was with sharing this, his grief is that that's what love is, is you, you, when you love people and you love yourself and you, when my dad died, I didn't want to talk about it. I, you know, I just went out to the club and I went out to the bars and I partied with my friends at the time and 
you know, I just drank Any, and anytime in a movie when someone dies, like in Hereditary, when the sister dies, and the character who is affected by the death just goes on like normal, that hits me so hard because I think that's how I would handle something like that. I that's would how just, we're taught to. I wouldn't, because... I wouldn't want to deal with it, and I would just be like, I'll deal with this later. I can't even think about this right now. Well, Hereditary is enough material for a whole other episode, but that's why it starts out in a little toy house, is that our lives and our deaths have been sequestered to boxes, and once the box is closed, we're not supposed to reopen it. That's, that's why the term Pandora's box exists, because yeah, if you open that, Pandora's yeah. box, then you have to, you have to deal with it. Then we're not taught to deal with, deal with things. That's why white people don't fucking like when they get called racist because they don't want to fucking deal with it. Sorry for cursing, but that that's what it is. That's why it's uncomfortable if you accidentally do something racist or you get called racist is because even if you're the best well-meaning person, you still did something fucked up and you need to atone for it. And atoning for it fucking is it's uncomfortable, it hurts, but for every little like pain in your stomach, that's somebody who's getting shot through the heart by the police. So it's like in that this is our time to offer ourselves, if I may say, proverbially to, into the bosom of the bride of, of Christ. Uh, is that spoken, what he says? The bride of, like Nick Cave. bride of Jesus. We need to just nestle up to that bosom. And it says here, I, I'm looking at, there's a, an annotation on the lyrics here. It says that Christ is often described in the Bible as the bridegroom to the bride. So if you're married to Jesus, mm -hmm. you got to get some Jesus in you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, all of the problematic shit with Christianity aside, if you're going with that message, that embodiment of good and, and, mm -hmm. and a less sinful, more aware and well-meaning lifestyle, then everything can be better. And I think that's why the chorus has the word love in it. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven times. And that's not even, he probably repeats to, repeats it different. He does do some things differently live. But in one, you just hear love, 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 love. That's why it's so sad is you can't have the grief without the love. The song is that much more powerful because he is, he is emphasizing and vocalizing his love for his son or whatever sort of figure is being described in this song, sort of in the way that Magneto has that deep unbridled rage, but he has a love for peace and nonviolence. Yeah, I mean, he's always painted as a sensitive subject. I can't help but, I mean, just because it's in my head, but I can't help but think of like, the whole thing, like they, they painted this picture of Martin Luther King and Stokely Carmichael. So Stokely Carmichael started the, uh, was one of the leaders of the black power movement mm -hmm. and he was all about violence. And I think that we're in a movement right now where more people are empathetic towards violence in these protests. And unfortunately we're at a really sad place if destroying property is the only way for people to take notice of something. I think like you can't believe anyone, man, yeah, so without going on too much longer. Uh, hey, I just want to say I really um, I appreciate you for sharing how you know personal this kind of subject has uh, affected you. To well, like I said, you you don't under I, you just don't understand these things. We're all different, and I was not really taught that well to be like I was. I was my mom and I would have conversations when I was a kid because I had a lot of emotions and I was an overthinker. Mm. but no one ever teaches you in school about these things. No one teaches you how to cope. No one teaches you what grief looks like. And even, feels you know, like. I know there have been people who have listened to this all throughout the world. I don't know if this is just an American culture thing, but yeah, even within our own families and friends, like this is not something you're taught to deal with. You're just kind of, if something bad happens to you, you're just kind of thrown out there to deal with it. Absolutely. You brought up the chorus, and one of the amazing things to me about this song is it has that, you know, in love, I love, you love. And it could be so sing-songy and so anthemic and sing-along, sing but he delivers it so monotone and doesn't go for that easy sing-along moment. And I, I always found that so interesting. 
you know, he can carry a tune. He could have made that part huge and powerful. And it almost hits harder because it sounds like something you want to sing along with, but because he delivers it so evenly and not all that melodic for Nick Cave standards, it's a powerful fucking chorus. It almost sounds, and you have more production experience than I do, it almost sounds like he's singing it to a different time signature, or something about it sounds kind of off. A lot of this album has that, where it just sounds like nothing was recorded at the same tempo, or like things kind of speed down and slow up, and it's really cool. Yeah, it's got that sort of jay-z quality to it where i think i always have felt like jay-z seems to rap off beat but then he just manages to slip right back in and the flow you, oh man i mean i would have never i would have never drawn that but yeah sometimes he'll seem to like lose it but then he finds it again yeah like a lot of that new record he put out uh 444 um phenomenal album by the way great album uh it's got a stevie wonder sample on it pretty awesome yeah, it's, I think in sort of, it's, I think it's supposed to feel free. I think he's trying to free himself of something. It sounds very much, it feels like he's like self-exercising in this song because that's how it feels when you like feel depression or, or pain is you just, you just have this weight that you want to remove. And that's why people are fighting so hard for prison, you know, abolition. That's why people are fighting so hard for abolishing police. That's why people fight so hard when they lose a family member or a dog. It's like, you know, it's not the same. All of those aren't the exact same struggles or thing, mm-hmm. but they're all united in that sense of wanting to be free. And that's why it's cool. He adds like, I move, you move, I love, you love, I laugh, you laugh. It's as if he's like, and the music accompanies it very well because it's very, you know, buzzy and, and droney. That's what I was going to say is it's so like, it, it's funny because even though this song and Mercy Seat are so different in a lot of ways, Mercy Seat's very droney and this album itself is very droney. It's also, it's but it's also a whole different way. This is droney in like a Tim Hecker way. It, it's it. And it's also less band oriented. And it seems like that's what I was saying is like, it could just be, it could have just been Nick Cave wrote the whole album by himself in a room. I think because Nick Cave's whole career has been finding ways to be heavy without using that um, the typical thing we think of as heavy, distorted guitars and drums. In this album, he found a way to be heavy, like like as heavy as any Black Sabbath song or whatever, with using like a synthesizer in his voice. And I definitely recommend people watch the performance of him in Copenhagen, because the way that he does it with every song he performs, I don't know if it's given the timestamp of it, he's in a different me- mental state, but his his on-screen or his on-stage persona and his performance is so, like, he just moves, like, so he just kind of moves, like, and I, they can't see the camera, but he, he just, his arms are so free-flowing, and, you know, he kind of dances, and he's kind of like, he, he, it's like he's got his arms up, like, he's trying to fly, and he's trying to, like, yeah, he's you know, an just, incredible like, performer. He's just always doing cool stuff. So you'll yeah. see it when you watch the video. Watch the video after you listen to this or pause this and watch it and then come back. But I saw a couple of things that this song is about having sex. Like it's about making love to someone. Really? And I saw that with the uh, – I found like an annotation. Um, I mean that's on brand for Nick Cave, but I just never got that from this song. I don't think it's about that, but – there's a line where it's, uh, God damn it. I got to find it. Okay. So there's the, there's the line in the chorus, saw you in half and the stars were splashed across the ceiling, which is also the ending of the song, which is beautiful. You know, you can just see somebody like reaching up into the sky mm-hmm. and they're just like, it's like, you know, be gone or open, open to me, open, you know, open whatever portal is there. This is, it's a, it's, it's somebody on the, it's, I'm, I use the Genius website for lyrics. I don't know how, I just know they have annotations from people that are more and more accredited as they make mm-hmm. annotations, but yeah. apparently saw you in half is employed as a euphemism for sex. And the stars splashed across the ceiling is also sort of about like having an orgasm. Like you like, you know, you black out and you see stars. So my last little, uh, you know, little thread of theory here is that, Maybe this whole song 
And why it's called Magneto is he is replaying all of the memories of his son. And that includes having sex with his, uh, is he married? Is this with his wife? Yeah. I don't know much. Okay. You know, the, the sexual part, you know, leads to birth. So this is, this whole song is sort of this long, like five, five and a half minutes swath mm. of, you know, he's going through his drug overdose or his drug problems. And then his, his love and his, the, the laughter and the fun and the sort of positive parts of it. And then, you know, he sees the Magneto character of the comic book, you know, the TV shows playing in the background or, you know, maybe he's on tour and he, and he, he's with his son or his son calls him and he talks about Magneto. And then it's back to the, you know, the stars in the sky. And then it's like his son's passed away. It's the supermarket. They're wait, he's waiting, you know, he's kind of going mad with the mundanity, the mundane qualities of life. And then again, like it just ends about like the love and the positive memories. And then it all kind of fades out, man. I So that's amazing. I've never thought of the song that way, but I think I will now. Because, and that's why I wanted, that's why I wanted to end my series of contributions theories wise is that it's such a, like I was saying, it's such an ugly, there's so much ugly imagery Mm -hmm. and trust me, I have been on the other end of a, of a toilet bowl after having done a drug that I didn't know what it was or drank too much alcohol. And all you fucking want to do is feel better again. Mm -hmm. And grief feels like that. Anger feels like that. It all feels horrible. But there's always that moment where something opens you, whether it be a person or a conversation or you eat some food or you drink some water. It can be anything. And then you feel like yourself again. And I think there's just so many dualities, not just in this song, but in our lives where we (laughs) exist like we exist within our pain and our pleasure all at once. And it's, there's a reason that there's a quote that says life is suffering, but life is also about, you know, pleasure and being with people. And I I don't know. I, I, that's sort of my last take on the song. So great song to talk about, but we will, um, we'll talk about it next time we do another skeleton tree song because it pertains to all of them. But I will say, Something you made me think of that I'd never thought of in relation to this song is that when something like this happens to someone and they lose a child, I think as a society, we almost like make them a saint. We make them like otherworldly, like what they're going through is so profound and horrible and we can't relate to it. And they almost become other like, oh man, that, that guy over there, he lost his daughter. And it's like, they aren't even one of us anymore. They become something else. So for him in this song to relate that kind of suffering with something as normal as drinking too much or doing a drug and throwing up, you know, that brings it down to earth to something we can all relate to. And that's really fucking cool. You know, we think of of that kind of grief as being so bigger than us, and he's kind of bringing it down to something we can all understand. Not saying it's the same thing, but... It, it's making it more relatable. I agree. Right. Yeah. So let's let's get to ratings here. What what do you rate this, Jake? It's going to be hard not to rate all of his songs. You know, like a ten out of ten. But I think I I think I'd probably rate this song. I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'll give it a nine out of ten because I think it could have been longer because I love the song so much that I, I it feels like it should be like an eight minute song and I could have mm-hmm. seen him just adding some extra like instrumental flourishes, but I also think it functions really well as sort of a minimalist piece of art. So uh, yeah, nine out of 10 for me. This is a 10 out of 10 easily for me. This is probably a top five, top 10 Nick Cave song in my book. I cannot think of a more beautiful song I've ever heard than this. This is a weird album. This is a weird one to be our second episode. If I was showing someone Nick Cave for the first time, most people, not you, Jake, because you, you really like ambient music, and this is right up your wheelhouse. But for the average person, this is not one of the first 10 Nick Cave songs I would show them. Man, is it? This is just a masterpiece. And this whole album, any, really. It's going to be hard for me not to give every song on this album a 10 out of 10. I, and I think that's cool. I think just because we love a song a lot, does you know, guys, write in and tell us what you think. If you think the song's shitty, 
and you want to tell us why, or you, you're like, it's a good song, but I gave it a five out of 10 because of this, you know, oh, yeah, send us, us send us emails. Uh, we'll plug everything at the end when we're done. Um, one thing I'll add, because I like to share music that I know about with people is uh, Ian brought up Tim Hecker, but Tim Hecker is one of my favorite artists. He has some albums that came out recently that are phenomenal, one of which is called uh, Kanoyo, which I think during that time he was doing live recordings and performances in some crazy venue, like inside a chapel, which is the most Tim Hecker thing ever. But yeah, if, if you dig this kind of stuff, just to piggyback on Jake, this Tim yeah. Hecker would be right up your alley. I think he does a lot of like recording orchestras, but then manipulating the sound to make it Har sound like something else. Harmony and ultraviolet and uh, rave death 1972 would be the ones I would recommend people start with. It's great for reading, studying, drives, or if you just want something to listen to while you're on a walk or at home as background music, it's beautiful music. He, he does a lot of field recordings where he manipulates sound and then he, he uses Ableton actually. He was one of the people that inspired me along with like Flying Lotus and Knowledge to get into Ableton because Ableton is like this live performance tool. So it's designed so that you can take your laptop with you to a venue and play an entire set. Uh, it's why, you know, DJs use Ableton and mm -hmm. stuff like that. But check out Tim Hecker, check out Purient, um, check out, uh, I think his name's Ben Frost. And then, you know, there's like the master of ambience, uh, Aphex Twin, among all his drum and bass. And I thought you were going to say master of ambience, Brian Eno. Brian Eno. I mean, the other master of, actually, he is probably the master of ambience, but then Aphex Twin has some phenomenal ambient material that's worth checking out. And listen, I'm just but, a dude who likes punk rock. When I hear this album, I'm just like, oh, it sounds like Radiohead. Yeah, it's, just, it's, it's, it's like the closest you're going to get, Ian, to liking ambient music, I can tell. But I, 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 I'm sure, as, as with many things, like uh, something really hilarious to me is it took me getting – I'm 29, but last year I heard like a Beatles album all the way through for the first time, Abbey Road. And I, lis I listened to Revolver like three times in a row over the last two days. I fucking love that record. And when I was a kid – there are so many things I like now where my childhood self would just be so silently judgmental of me. I feel like that I was all to, the time. <laughs> like I was to other people. Like, I mean, I, I would tell my friends like, oh, fuck the Beatles. But like, if I saw somebody listening to it, I would, you know, I would never be like an, an asshole or anything about it. But uh, one oh, thing I, I want to... Go ahead. When I was 15 listening to Minor Threat, if someone was like, oh, I'm really into Beatles, I'd be like, fuck off. Yeah, fuck you. Like, I, like, I only want to listen to NoFX. Or Blink hey, but I'm, I'm or glad something. you gave the Beatles that shout out. They really, they really need the, uh, they need the attention. Yeah, they do, don't they? I, I, but I, I'm I mean, you're helping to get the word out. It, it all, all sarcasm aside, it is good music, and they do have some really fucked up lyrics. If you look, like Eleanor Rigby, that song she said something. Um, I'm only sleeping is basically a song about being really high. And like, like most Beatles songs after like 19. Yeah. Yeah. I think that must be why I like it. Cause I had, you know, I don't really smoke weed anymore, but I had such a big phase of it when I was in my earlier twenties that I, uh, you know, I'm just out there, man. I'm just yeah. out there. I like, I, you know, I just like it. You know, they use the sitar. Uh, it's your, it's your so weed spacey, voice sounds man. Like Donald Trump. Hey man. <laughs> hey man, build the wall, build the wall. <laughs> They can't see the video, but I'm doing that Donald Trump, little, little Trump hand movement. <laughs> Fuck Trump. He's an asshole and all that bullshit he's doing trying to, to make COVID not a big deal is like he's he is literally like he's gone from being as Pete Holmes described him as like the cool dad who took you to the amusement park on made you call out sick at school. Mm -hmm. He's gone from that to being the creepy uncle who probably touched you when you were a kid and gave you like $5 after it happened. And then he was like, oh, you know, don't worry about that. They'll figure out about it later. Oh my God, that's uh, great. I mean, yeah, he's an I will, asshole. I, I will say, you know, it looks like about half the people who are listening to this are outside of America. It's probably obvious, but we are just as disgusted as you are. Yeah, sorry you guys have to watch the United States continue to burn. <laughs> we're, um, we're doing what we can, but it doesn't seem like there's much we can do. There's a lot of good change happening. It's going to happen very slowly. I think we need to focus on the good and 
you know, eat less meat, eat, eat less animal products so we can preserve the earth, stop using as much plastic, be mindful, donate your money, all that good stuff. Hey, everybody. Listen, so, yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode. Um, next week, we will be picking a song at random from the 90s playlist. There's a lot of silly songs in that time period, so maybe we won't be as fucking heavy and serious as we were these first two episodes. This was um, a serious episode. It's uh, it's we we were both talking about before the episode started. We're in sort of a downswing, so we will try to keep it lighter. Uh, but you know, serious times call for serious measures. We swear that we can be funny people sometimes. Sometimes. Um, so if you want to reach out to us, you can email us at jubileestreetpod at gmail dot com. If you want to get in touch with me or follow me, I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Ian McCurtis. What about you, Jake? Uh, yeah, so uh, Gabriel Ha seven twenty at gmail dot com. Send me uh, you know letters. If you don't like my rating, suck it. If you want to, you know, send me you know pictures of your dog. I love those. Um, I mean, you can just send those to the general uh, the podcast email, so I can see them. You know the the I'd design like of the podcast too. is that this is we usually pick songs at random, but I, you know if there's something that you guys just want us to bring up in an episode and anything like that, you know, we can do, we can consider doing extra episodes as we expand and bringing up your questions and your concerns and whatnot. So yeah, Gabriel ha 720 at gmail.com. And, uh, I am going to be getting back up on the music course to start working on music again. I, I, uh, really fell out of practice with that over the last month or so. So I'm trying to get back into that. So yeah. Uh, Magneto, Nick Cave, uh, thanks for listening, guys. Have a great morning, afternoon, or night. Good night. One more time with feeling. I love you, love. I love you, love. I'm sawn in heart. And all the stars are splashed. Cross the ceiling.